Hello, product people. Welcome to the new season of The Product Perspective. This year, we're diving deep into the minds of product creators, innovators, founders, and industry leaders. Get ready to uncover the strategies, stories, and the insights that fuel successful products in today's dynamic landscape. So buckle up and let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product Perspective. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, a very warm welcome to you and to our regular listeners. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, today, uh, we've got an exciting episode lined up for you. We're talking with Sue, co-founder at Alico, a wellness platform for managing personal growth and well-being. Sue has worked in product management across a range of B2B and B2C health tech startups. Um, some of these include R&D commercialization from Sydney Uni, building a new enterprise business for Insight Timer at a global meditation app, leading teams at Eucalyptus and head of product at Equolution, a nutrition tech startup. And we're going to be delving into the art of cultivating innovation through experimentation and exploring the dynamic fusion of health and technology. This episode is a must listen, so sit back, relax, and let's get started. Welcome, Sue. Uh, you must be very busy. Um, I can understand why you're quite passionate about personal growth and well-being. Yeah, definitely. I think like it ties so much into experiment where I sucked off my like personality and mindset is always like, how can we continuously improve? Like, how can we learn uh, in my yep. personal life and also in my professional life? Yeah. So outside of what you've going, got going on professionally, how many things do you have going on outside of that? Lots of activities. Um, also like a massive, massive fan of like different kinds of sports. I write on a personal blog just because I love writing. I'm also running experiments on myself, currently running experiment on my morning routine, uh, which I then write about as well. So yeah, lots of like, I guess, social activities, but also like personal growth and personal development stuff. So, so on a given week, how many hours do you think you'd be spending not like actually doing uh, work and then also working on um, yourself and all of the different things that you've got going? Yeah, definitely. So I actually take like a half a day a week um, to just focus on myself. So that yep. would be like either reading or like writing. Um, and then I normally have like, so at the moment I'm learning windsurfing. Um, okay. So that's like a dedication every week to windsurfing and I boulder. So I do that like a couple of times a week as well. Uh, and then it's just like these small pockets of like activities. Uh, but, you know, for me, like these kind of activities are really good, not just from a physical perspective, but also a mental perspective. So like, for me, bouldering is like where I go to like just de-stress. Like it gets me so into like a mindset of being like calm and in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched people bouldering here. There's a popular place at it's at Kangaroo Point, the cliffs there. And it's so funny watching them from a, the outsider's perspective. You can see they're really focused and they're up and down on, on the side of the cliff, but they're like less than a meter off the ground. And it's so challenging for them and they're so focused. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's actually a book called The Warrior's uh, Way. It's actually a book on climbing, but like 70% of the book is on your mental like um, strength and resilience because it's such a mental game when you're out there on the rocks yep. and yep. keep going. Yeah, and and the other one I do is free diving, which again it's very much tied, like very <laughs> physical, but also like very much like tied to like mindfulness as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
So before we get into like our normal question set, so you said you said windsurfing. What made you choose windsurfing over say like kite surfing? <laughs> well, literally I used to, so I'm from Sydney. Um, I like used to live in an apartment that just looked out to the beach and every day uh, I would see like these people on these like soft boards with like, at that point I didn't know what it was. I was like, that looks so cool. What are they doing? And these guys would go out when it's like pouring rain. I'm like, what are they doing in the middle of the ocean? And I just like <laughs> went there and was like, oh, it's like windsurfing. So it's like, okay, that's so cool. I'm just going to start it. I've been like the comedy show of people at the beach. The first few weeks, <laughs> I was literally just falling down. It's really hard. It looks way easier than yep. it is. But, you know, like it's definitely the summer sport that I'm like dedicated to learning at the moment. I've, I've seen many windsurfers um, here in Queensland and kite surfers. And I can tell you that it, whilst it looks easy, you can also see how they're like fighting um the, the kite or the or the board um holding up the sail yeah it is it is definitely way i i way easier than it looks um, you you were smart you saw it and you're like that looks easy i'll stick to between the flags <laughs> um yeah so we're talking about experimentation and like i have a pretty good understanding of what that looks like from like a marketing perspective so for you, what does that look like in terms of product development? That's a really good question because I think like experimentation, as you said, can really be applied to like so many different facets of the business. It's not just product. You can experiment in marketing, you can experiment in your business model. And so my view of what experimentation meant actually has changed from when I first started in product to today. Um, my background actually comes from, like, I studied psychology and I actually worked in R&D teams, as you said. And so my perception of like experiments when I first started, I was like, okay, there's this structured methodology, hypotheses, independent, dependent variables and all this stuff. And I think while the fundamental principles is still true, you have a question you're trying to learn about, you have a hypothesis, there's a sound way to test it. And, you know, someone else can look at that and come to the same conclusion. For me, like actually what I realized over time of what sets like a good and a great product manager apart is like how you view experimentations. Because while it is a set of tools and methodologies, I really think it's a philosophy and mindset for how you analyze trade-offs, risks, and decisions. And actually the concept of experiments not didn't come from the field of science, even though everyone always says like, you know, yeah, think like a scientist. It actually came from the field of philosophy. So Aristotle was the one who was like, um, started it as a way of studying the universe uh, based on empirical evidence as opposed to like pure reason and debate. So if you look at like a product development life cycle, like there's like, two most important things that you want to get right. First one is, are you building the right thing? That's your strategy and your roadmap. And then from that, like, are you building it right? That's your solution design. And if you can't get that right, you can have the fanciest tech, the best design, it doesn't matter. Like it's not going to make an impact. And so when you're looking at like, you know, your strategy and your roadmap, there are essentially, I like to think of them in bets. Uh, your strategies are like a larger bet. And then like based on that, like you're starting to like prioritize the different initiatives that like, you know, helps you deliver on your strategy as like your sort of like more operational executional bets. And so when a product manager is doing this, they're making lots of prioritization decisions. You're looking at various data points, uh, whether or not it's user research, uh, market research, like your analytics to indicate, is this a good bet for us to take or not right now? And like in what sequence? And we normally have, you know, prioritization methods like RISE is very popular, like reach impact confidence efforts. So if you think about it, like, okay, we think this is going to be high impact and it's potentially going to take quite a large amount of time. Then you want to look at like the confidence level of that. And so if your confidence is not very high, this is where like it is a really good business case to run an experiment because like 
ultimately you don't want to be investing so much into something that you don't really know yet mm. like if it's really going to be like worth that trade-off and i think like a lot of times like in companies like the product manager has to really think very very uh, consciously about where they're investing the time and resources and it is a mindset thing of then when you would make experimentation very useful so how far out would you plan those experiments because most product managers are working from say a, a 12 month roadmap they might even know as far out as um, 18 to 24 months how far in advance would you be planning out those experiments so i would say like as early as possible so another thing for me as well is like things have to be very practical going back to our saying you know like how it's shifted for me it's like yeah you can go online and when I was first learning about product experiments you know because I first came I was like cool experiments in product I get to put my science hat on and you can get overwhelmed with so many different templates and like you know uh, methodologies and like and complex ways of doing it but if you think practically if I'm about to make a decision right here whether it's like very early stage on a long-term strategy or whether it's like, you know, on my next one year roadmap or my six, depends on how like six year, uh, six month roadmap or whatnot. At that point, like, and you're assessing all of them, you should be looking at like the evidence to guide you on whether or not this is a good decision. And at that point you can decide, let me plan an experiment. Uh, and like in your roadmap, you have sort of like separate buckets for like, you know, roadmap items, experiment items, enhancements mm -hmm. and bugs uh, that, you know, every company like for us is like 50% roadmap, 20% experiment, 30% enhancements and bugs, kind of like gu guidelines um, yeah. where you're putting it uh, and like using that as sort of a guideline for you to then do your planning, yeah. So what I take from that is once you have your your twelve month roadmap, you generally have those buckets that are you know they're they're fixed because you've already done the research for them, and it's either large improvement to existing product or uh, a new product that's sort of well known in the market, and then you have something that you are not quite sure about, but you want to kind of understand a bit more about it. So you would dedicate that twenty percent to experiment on that at some point in the roadmap. Yeah, so I'll give you a really good example. Um, at Eucalyptus, we were testing out like whether or not um, async video chats would work. Like that was one of our ideas of like, how do we actually, so our strategy was like, the team was really looking at like, how could we like foster better like um, relationship between like the GP and the patient? And like, how do we actually make it feel more personalized? And so you start with this sort of like broad, like goal of like wanting to do that because like it led to like, from our data, like, you know, if we could improve that, we could improve retention. And so you have all these initiatives, one of them, for example, being like async video chats, but we've never like sort of tested it. We don't know how the experience mm -hmm. is going to work like. So as opposed to us going, let's dedicate our whole team one month or two months to building that, let's run like a really short, like let's run an experiment for this quarter that could take us like, you know, a week to actually just like build or even less than that. And that could give us the sort of like indication for the next quarter, if we wanted to invest into that or not. And so like, that's kind of like how we use it when we're looking at like, our initiatives of like, this could actually be really big. Like if it works, it, it would like make such a fundamental difference, but let's test it first before we like invest the full like uh, development capacity into something that we just don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. We have those kind of moments when we're discussing ideas that might be so far out, yeah, um, like left field for us that we have no idea whether they'd be successful. We get excited when we talk about it, yeah. and and then okay, well, let's let's look at implementing that or a very very small version of that and see what the traction's like. The I guess the challenge with that is that there's you know there's risks associated with it with experimentation in generally, especially in early stage. Um, products um, and we've certainly seen that from our stage uh, where the uncertainty is 
you know, really high. So how do you navigate that? I actually like seeing that, like even having like founded my own startup, like and worked on many different MVP products. It is in the early stage when the uncertainty is high, it's even more reason to run experiments because yeah. you are, uh, you have less historical data, number one to give you strong indicators. You don't have like a whole year's history of users that you can analyze and talk to. Um, so you have to reach out to potentially like new users that is not even within your current cohort of market, depending on what kind of product you're building uh, for who. And then the second thing is like your resources are so limited. You have a smaller runway. So like that cost of wasted time and effort is so much higher compared to a large organization if you got it wrong. And so I think the key here is to like keep the experiment as minimal as possible and like try to think of things that I don't have to build like anything. And when you're in a early stage uh, product, depending on like how much investment like has been put into that product team but it's different if like you're a large organization and they've like you know incubated like okay you get to work on an early stage product because potentially you've got quite a lot of funding versus like you're in an early stage company and like you just don't even have like any engineers many engineers to work with but i think like the philosophy and mindset is still the same where like you need to treat everything like very very uh, consciously um and try to keep your experiments as minimal as possible and break it down to smaller hypotheses test so before you even go to like yeah let's design out like an experiment that could go through like a more simple version of uh what the full idea could be like could you even test like going back to um you know like whether it's feasible desirable viable could you even test the desirability for it first uh through like just putting out like you know fake landing page tests um or even just putting out like some sort of like call out to your um existing cohorts or new cohorts of users i think where the challenge comes in is finding the right balance in the fidelity of that experiment because like if you th there's always the balance of like what is too hacky versus like what is good, like too good. And you just want to get it like right so that it gives you the results that you want. Because sometimes if you go too uh, sort of like too hacky, like you, you may not get a result. It may not be that it's wrong. It's actually like the experiment was not designed to a high enough fidelity. And I'll give you an example. Like uh, we were one of our previous companies, we were testing out group coaching models. And so we ran these group chats on Slack. Very easy to set up, right? Like no, no build involved. We just ran it on Slack. And we ran it for a few months and the uptake was just not very good. And when you look at it, we well, were testing out group coaching, sorry. When you look at it, like actually the profile of people that were signing up were not like techie people. They were like, they were not used to Slack. So signing up to Slack actually became a barrier for them to even like coming onto the product. Uh, to the to slack and like using it and engaging it ongoing so when we actually swapped out from slack to actually like later on when we had an app we saw that the group coaching actually became very very successful and as an example of like knowing like the content like knowing your customers and your like the people really well so that you can experiment the design really well yeah you mentioned a couple of things there that because uh, i had questions around if you're really early stage and so you don't have customers yet how how can you get around that and you, you kind of address that um, which is good. I guess the other thing to add to that is that if you are an if you are an early stage startup or you're building a product, you don't have say market fit yet, or even if you do have a small customer base, it'd be really important to make sure that you have your um, that single ideal customer profile set. Because I guess you could, if you're running experiments to to an existing customer base, if it's, if it's a small customer base and they're not necessarily your ideal customer, then you're going to get mixed results from those experiments. A hundred percent like th that, you know, the, who they are matters so much. Um, like 
the context, which is why I was saying the context matters. And I think like if you don't have customers, um, which is something like that with like I've worked with before as well, like going out and like doing outreach uh, through like Facebook groups is a really good example. Find like where they are um, and also like putting out that you are running like a beta version, for example. Um, so like it's very like sort of clear that this is something that we're trying to pilot and run and engage the like sort of demand for that. Yeah. So you've, I guess that's talking about early stage in, in terms of a more mature business, which you've definitely been across as well and more established product environments. Um, how do you balance the need for that innovation and experimentation when established businesses, usually they're all about consistency and reliability and maintaining the status quo normally? Yeah, definitely. So like, I think that, you know, going back to what I was saying before, like when you have a roadmap and I really like to like everyone in the organization knows when I do like uh, any product sharebacks, like this is what our like sort of uh, capacity, capacity breakdown looks like. Like we have like 50% to roadmap items, 20% towards like experiments and then 30. And that gives a really good like sort of, uh, this is something that should be agreed on within like product teams. Like they should all be operating to the same kind of like, they're guidelines, they're not like strict, we're not measuring strictly, but it gives you sort of like the ability to go, here's where like we're investing in our core product um, and like everything like that, you know, we, we want to keep continuing investing in that. And then here's where we take, we're like, we're like investing into the riskier bigger bets that could actually drive a lot of innovation, whether or not it's like, it's probably more for the future term, but we want to be continuously doing that so that we are keeping up innovation ongoing. And that, and that sort of like percentages differs uh, like different companies and like their investment profile where they want to point to. Um, another good way of looking at three horizons of like the core, you know, adjacent and like future term sort of like bets that you're taking as well. I think like going back to our saying before, definitely like the minimum viable experiment or like the experiment design uh, the fidelity becomes a lot higher when you're in larger organization because the customer experience like is definitely they're already used to like sort of everything being a bit more polished so uh, when i was at insight timer we were testing out um workshops we like before investing into workshops as like a business offering which meant that we would need to start like developing packages operational you know sort of like processes around it and it's like it really changed the whole business strategy a lot we actually like designed uh workshops as an experiment and uh, we had like 10 of our existing like teachers come on board to deliver these workshops we stitched th things together with like you know Calendly and we also had like then Google Meets that was like running for it uh, so it was still like quite the, the fidelity of the experiments was still quite good that people felt it was very seamless and so I would say that like definitely the experiment fidelity does increase um, but doesn't mean that you can't run experiments uh, inside time has been running, you know, for like, yeah, close to 10 years. And we still do experiments as well on these sort of like bigger strategic bets. Another thing as well, that's really good is like, if you can set up like a beta group and so uh, two, two things, like one, if you have a beta group for like sort of having the people that are already used to, yeah, like it may not be perfect and they acknowledge and accept that. The second thing is like, and I've seen this a lot recently as well with AI features coming out um, and a lot of established products is like intercom as well like for example they have one like it's like you clearly say like this is a beta feature in the product and mm. like have like clear like disclaimers to say like this you know like we are still in testing mode it may sometimes be inaccurate while we are learning and so like that sets the customer expectations um as they're trying out a feature that yeah like inherently for example with ai is a good example like you could get it like a bit inaccurate as well so at some points yeah i love that because um then you turn your customer group into um qa testers <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, just for reference, how many users does Inside Timer have on the platform? Uh, like a couple million, yeah. yeah, that, um, yeah. That was when I was there a few years ago. So they're like globally as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess that puts things into perspective with um, you know having a well-established product and then running experiments along the way. So I guess the, the question that I've kind of been waiting to get to is around measuring um, the success of the experiments. So how do you measure the uh, success of experiments and are there different metrics or approaches that you find particularly effective? Yeah, definitely. So there's like, there's heaps of like uh, metrics that you can measure and depending on the type of test you run as well, um, you can get into like specific kinds of metrics for specific tests. But I think like if I was to say something that's applicable to like all kind of experiments, like the first of all, obviously like it's your goal metric. So like, what is it are you trying to like improve? So for example, if it's like conversion rate on a purchasing flow, um, and if you are working on like improving like the funnel uh, for when someone comes in to purchase a product um, on the website. And then like you want to know like the something that I think is really important is like the experiment success criteria. So like you can run an experiment and you say, I want to improve. At like, what point do you say this experiment is successful? If I increase conversion by 5%, is that successful or is it like 8%? Like so like knowing what that is and like having like maybe like different confidence level buckets is good. The statistical significance is also really good, uh, really important because like yeah like if you run a very short time on a small sample size it obviously is different uh, and so like there are certain tools where like actually like you know they even tell you this uh statistical significance of the experiment you're running so like you can increase the experiment time or your sample size if it's not significant enough and then the third one which i think a lot of people miss out on and definitely like something that i feel like is very very important to be cognizant of is like what are the driver metrics and what i mean by that is like what are the other variables that could impact this metric so if we're thinking about conversion and you mentioned that like you you know about it in the marketing realm so you might find this quite uh, relatable like we did a lot of work before on like you know um product work on like improving our conversions on the website um and you know because the website was like built in-house by the product team and so like when you're looking at that like there are so many other factors that could affect that conversion factor if, if we improve the funnel and marketing launched the campaign on that same week the same week that we launched the improved funnel and we saw an increase in conversion like how could like the attribution we could make like is it from the marketing campaign or is it from the product like yep. this improved quiz and that that is something that i think like the understanding the variables um that's driving that is really important and so what you need to do is actually get very uh, detailed into like the stages of the funnel and where exactly is your product work impacting is it actually like if you implement apple pay and google pay is it that's that last step um and don't not don't just look at the whole funnel and secondly it's like this is why you need to collaborate a lot with like other departments as marketing in this example is something that i think i've always seen very very common to know what are like the initiatives that are running concurrently at the same time that could impact your metric and co confound your data as well um, some of the product experiments that our product team run are, are usually around onboarding customers into the product. Yeah. So the metric that they track, I believe, is like the activation rate. So we, we kind of have this understanding of what a customer looks like when they're activated and they're more likely to become a paying customer once they've activated. And sure, some drop off, but that's um, sort of normal. And they kind of experiment through that onboarding journey. Sometimes there's just not enough data going through that funnel to be able to 
determine whether or not the test statistically significant. So the other, I guess, variable to add there is the team members that you have. And um, if you have team members that are, you know, they're experts in their field, um, they really understand exactly what it is you're you're testing and the users that you have through the product or or website. And usually their gut feel is is pretty accurate and using best data available because you might come up with people saying, oh, we don't have enough data, let's just keep running the experiment. But sometimes you don't have time to keep running the experiment. So just use best data available and the experience within the team. A hundred percent, like, um, you know, going back and I would like keep saying this the whole time, like practicality is so important. Like you have to be very practical, like with your experiments of like when to run it, when not to run it, when to stop it. Um, because the reality is we're not living in a world where we can just do everything unlimited and like, you know, have everything perfect. Like in startups, it, it doesn't operate that way. So a thousand percent, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think like the last, uh, like the last two, I guess, like that I, I sort of mentioned is, um, the guy real metrics is also really important so like if we go back to that conversion example like you want to be looking at like the CAC and the LTV so like you could be driving very high conversions but if there are people they're going to churn in seven days like that's not uh good conversions as well so I think that's really important that uh when you're tracking your experiment success you're also looking at like these other like uh, metrics that are important that you make sure you want to like maintain and then the last one which I think like a lot of times like the experiment is so focused on the experiment I think like it experiments are a very very good way to learn about customers more and learn about pain points even deeper so that post experiment analysis going back to what you're saying like are you getting the right ideal customer through this or like have we found like that this particular uh, experiment that we've like tested and um, actually works really well with this particular cohort um, and are they the cohort that we actually want to continue targeting or not um, out of like all the different personas that we have? So that analysis and deeper dive of like what you're trying to learn beyond just like, you know, trying to improve conversion in the example of that goal metric is really helpful for you just as like for, uh, your product as a whole. I think like the like capturing just like the effort to run, you know, like and the impact it had is really helpful for product teams to continuously like sort of go back to whether or not it's like the head of product or like the CEO or whoever it is that like, to show like the value of like these experiments so that they can like, actually continue to be run as well. And that should be tracked anyway in like sort of backlog. Yeah, I think that um, that point around making sure you know who it is you're trying to target with the experiments is so important because mm-hmm. there have been a number of times where from a marketing perspective, you know, we may have run an experiment but and seen an uptick in website conversion, but that uptick is due to an influx of um, traffic from mobile devices, which we don't service. So it, it's kind of irrelevant um, moot data. <laughs> It is, it is, it's tricky, right? Like, because there's so many variables, like it is, there is definitely um, situations where you're not going to get the first experiment right. And that's yeah. why it's like, you learn and how do you iterate on that? If you found something that's like, yeah, in your example, like it's a mobile user, it's like you, you then change that and continue to like test it and learn. Um, so it's, it's definitely an iterative process. Yeah. yeah. So I guess one thing we we haven't necessarily mentioned, um, and just to sum it up really super quickly, is that experimentation should definitely part of the company culture. Um, you should definitely try to get this idea of experimentation from um, the top down as opposed to forcing it from the bottom up because everyone should be across it and um, regularly experimenting with um, product. And I know marketers understand this, um, but definitely from a product perspective. Um, so what advice would you offer to product teams when they're aiming to establish or enhance their culture of experimentation? 
Okay, I've definitely worked in companies where there has been like I came in and it was no experiments being run and companies where like we were running some experiments and we were continuously trying to improve that process of how we do experiments. I would say that like for the first group of like if you're in an organization where like just experiments is not a thing and I see this most commonly uh, in like smaller companies, uh, maybe like less so in like startups, but like more like smaller companies of like businesses um, that don't really understand the value of experiments yet. It can feel like it's a daunting process it can sound something that requires a lot of time investment and resources and like you know the top ups just go like no nah, like we, we don't have capacity to do that right now and I would say that like then it's really sort of like the education around like it doesn't have to be a fancy process it doesn't have to be big budget kind of investment which goes back to like the philosophy and mindset and so if you take that philosophy and mindset, when you as a product manager are working through your roadmap, your strategy, and you see an opportunity where there is this scenario of like, you know, high impact, like potentially large investment, investment, not much uh, confidence yet. And if you can think of a small experiment that can be like low investment to run, I would suggest to like sort of pitch it as part of that, as opposed to like going like pitching, let's start an like, you know, um, whole experimentation thing and use that use case to run a small experiment in your own team first. And then once you can do that and measure the things that we talked about, where you are showing the value of it, you can use that to then go back and run more experiments. When we did one and we were testing out sort of like the conversion of a more personalized quiz on uh, someone going to then purchase, the we were not a very like high experimentation culture at that point. I think we ran like all like very sporadically. But once we saw like the conversion difference of like 20% um, between the, once we were able to show that to the CEO, that really like sort of shifted her lens to be able to see that graph and see that data of like, wow, this is so much value for us to then go like, okay, yeah, we will invest the next like, you know, one month to actually building out this further. We had it on Pipeform before that. So that's an example, I think like using like your practical like work and like use case to, to find a small opportunity. And then like, I think it is very helpful once you actually start to run more experiments to have good data tracking, feature flagging and experimentation tools, like people just like forget about all that, but it is so important because then it's like, if you're not, you're not closing the loop. Um, if you don't actually come back to it. And I think like, you know, like your company, like Userback is a really great tool for collecting feedback. Um, you know, there's other tools like Optimizely as well um, for running different like variations of tests and they just make it a lot faster. I think like if you're like in an organization where you're already running um, the experiment, some of the learnings that I've had um, over the years, it's like, I think the number one thing is the way that the sort of experimentation teams are set up. So I don't think that like siloing off innovation and experimentation to one team is a good approach. I've actually worked in that setup where we had a growth experiment team and I was in the core product team and like they were helping like to experiment on our like roadmap and it was so hard to synchronize. We had multiple engineering teams typing the same code. We were doubling up on product work and we soon like disbanded that. And so like the experiments came into the core product team roadmap because at the end of the day, you are the, it is your product area, your goal. It should be part of like everyone's like mindset and culture, not just within one team. That's something I see quite a lot. The second thing I think is like really important is the collaboration. Like if you go back to what I was saying before, like we want to do something that's minimal build, lowest amount of effort that delivers the result. Relying just like thinking just within product engineering like lane really limits what you can do. So I would say that like we should be talking to customer service team, operations team, marketing team, like they're your best friend. 
what can you test together with them to then like be able to run this experiment not just within product and engineering and yeah i think like the last thing is just like really being able to know like when it's failed because it's not a good idea or like when it's failed because like of something that could have been tweaked and and that's where the iteration comes in and just being very practical like when you actually run an experiment versus not because like not everything has to be an experiment the same way not everything has to be research then yeah just being like very practical on that is, is a thing that I just want to say because every time you're in startups like it's not always going to be rosy but doesn't mean you can't experiment there are practical ways to do it yeah I think with startups it's a lot easier to be more transparent with yeah. your, your product team, um, the engineers, um, and everyone who sort of forms up that product team um, to have to be transparent with where you know what the business goals are, how the business is tracking, and help foster a more business mindset from the individual. Quite often, what I've seen at least is that um, an engineer, you know, they they care so much about the code that they're writing, they don't necessarily think. I guess, business strategy and, and long-term success of a business or what the business is trying to do from its goals perspective, they get given the task, they do a great job on the task and then they move on to the next task. So fostering that um, business mindset with the team can, I, I think would help with that um, culture of experimentation. Uh, and the other thing you spoke about was having a, a dedicated team for innovation. And that is something that I have seen with larger organizations, usually um, so so um, say a bank or an insurance company, they'll implement an innovation team and it's a large team. And having spoken to people that aren't in the innovation team, you know, there's animosity because the engineers or the product team um, as, that aren't part of the innovation team, um, they get jealous or they get upset because here's this team doing all this fun stuff. They're experimenting, they're building these cool new things. And whilst they may never actually um, come to life in in the product it might be um, a mobile app that you know it just causes divide and um, lack of communication so having that innovation um, integrated throughout the wider organization is usually a much better option yeah definitely and like i think you made a really good point on the sharebacks um like as part of all the product sharebacks that people do i think like every product team should always be like you know yeah. about where they are the product stuff like sharing the experiments is really good as well and like you know doing async video sharebacks are really good um if you want to try and get everyone across the company another thing we've actually done before in previous organizations that we ran like hackathons every quarter and that was just an easy way of like you know getting people to like come in and like get creative and then like out of that like experiments could be born but like the whole process of like the whole organization coming in together and just sort of like experiment like you know creating all these creative ideas like is part of that whole like mindset of like staying creative staying innovative um that just sets like a very it's more of a cultural thing that allows you to then continue to build on top of yeah 100 percent. i've only ever been a part of one hackathon but it was um the energy was amazing watching for example someone from the accounts team you know they do administration day to day they might not be 100 percent across the product but you know those people they have ideas 100 percent. they are like the, they understand the customers so deeply like yep customer experience customer success teams they are like so full of ideas like they, they know all the pain points so deeply that like you know working together with them is so important yep and the energy that comes out of the day like everyone's yeah. got a great vibe it's, <laughs> it's awesome yeah yeah it's great well, thank you so much for your time. Um, it has been a great chat. I learned some things, um, which is usually awesome. Um, I'm always learning from people I talk to, which is great. So I love doing this. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here.
That was my interview with Sue, the co-founder of Alico and an expert in product management within the health tech industry. We delved into the philosophy of experimentation in product development, the importance of crafting a culture for success and the practical strategies and mindset shifts needed to foster a culture of continuous improvement. We've learned about the importance of practical small-scale experiments, the metrics to measure success, and the significance of collaboration and transparency within product teams. If you'd like to hear more from product people like Sue, subscribe to the podcast and feel free to get in touch with me with questions or suggestions for the pod on letstalk at userback.io. Until the next time, bye for now.